Welcome to the Bleep Midlife Bulimia Podcast with guest Whitney Lordson, Wellbeing Coach. Hi everyone, I am Lorianne. I am the host of Bleep Midlife Bulimia. And today my ho- my guest is Whitney Lordson, and she is a well-being coach. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So my first question will be, how did you get to become a well-being coach? Gosh, it's it's a bit of a, a long journey, but I suppose it, it starts when I was in high school, which is when I was um, going through my major phase of disordered eating and um, purging behavior. I was simultaneously starting to feel more passionate about psychology, and I was taking classes, and I remember those were my favorite classes, just learning about our, our emotions and our behavior and why we do things. And I had an amazing teacher in high school who really encouraged me to just explore that desire to learn about human behavior. And it wasn't a career path that I was interested in at the time. I actually pursued a filmmaking career. But fortunately, the amazing college that I went to, Emerson College in Boston, Massachusetts, had a psychology minor option, and I ended up studying psychology alongside studying filmmaking. But even then, I just thought, oh, this is something I'm really interested in. I think maybe I thought I would incorporate psychology into my screenwriting, my film projects, which I certainly did, but I never anticipated that it would become something that would almost override my desire to study film. So over the years, as I started to shift careers, I really have been tuning into the fact that my my story around disordered eating is not my own. I'm not the only one that went through it, right? I think back when I was in high school, it wasn't something that people very openly talked about. I think there was a lot of shame in that. And And these days, I'm very grateful that people speak about these matters more openly, And that gave me the courage to start to support people more. Courage and motivation, I would say. Recognizing that a lot of people need support with their well-being. And they don't just want to um, work on their physical selves. A lot of people mostly, if not mainly, want to work on their mental and emotional sides of their overall well-being. So with your disordered eating... Did you, do you have an idea of why it would have started, how it started? Do you want to share that? Yeah, certainly. I, well, I, I was so fortunate when I was in college that I recognized that it was a problem. And I remember telling a nurse that I was purging. I never really felt like I was binging a lot. The two usually go hand in hand, but I felt like I was kind of eating normal amounts of food. I didn't feel the need to eat, you know, an intense amount and purge for that reason. I was purging because I I felt so much shame around what I was eating and shame around my body. And I remember telling the nurse and the nurse recommended I go to a nutritionist. That was the first thing I did after that conversation. I got to the nutritionist and even Back in my, I think I was a a freshman in college, perhaps. 
even back then I knew a lot about food. I, I didn't feel like what I was eating was like a problem. And I remember that session feeling kind of useless to me, but I believe it was nutritionist who also recognized it, who then recommended that I go see a therapist. So I got referred to a psychiatrist who changed everything and, and it felt like it was just one session. She, she like had this light bulb moment for me that really helped me identify why I was purging. And I, it's interesting now because I haven't thought about her exact words, but it, yeah, it's fascinating. Um, it was just, it gave me perspective on what was happening and, and why I was behaving that way. And I started to feel more controlled. And then my purging behavior started to diminish, but we continued the sessions because what she recognized was a lot of challenges I was having with my mother. So that's when I also started to realize that some of my purging, if not a huge reason for it, was because of my relationship with my mom and a lot of the messaging that my mom gave me about my body and about food. And that was a huge thing and, and really still is to this day, something kind of I, something I have to address every time I spend time with my parents. There's a lot of shame around food and a big concern around appearance. And fortunately, now I have the tools to better handle it, but it's still tough. And fortunately, I stopped purging because I recognized that that wasn't really getting me anywhere. It was that I had to do more internal work and stop the external behavior. So was there a sense of, I don't know how to use this, but did you feel somewhat controlled by the way that your mother was responding to, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure what angle did she expect you to look a certain way and to be a certain way and eat certain food? Because with my mother, it wasn't so much that it was the opposite. It's like eat what's on your plate type of mother. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. She was, it wasn't into that. Both my parents were were and still are very concerned with their weight. I remember my dad was struggling a lot with that. I don't know though if he was struggling because of my mom. Like was my mom shaming the entire family? You know, and and the thing is that I actually have a very good relationship with my mom. I love her. There's so much love there. But I believe that she was conditioned to be very, very concerned with her body. And that got passed around through my family with my dad, myself, not as much with my sister, which is a whole nother subject matter. But my dad and I were the two that were just feeling like we were fighting an uphill battle. There was a lot of talk around my mom's genetics versus my dad's genetics, which on my dad's side of the family, they tended to be larger in size than my mom's side. So it was like, I had this perception growing up that, oh, like, you know, I'm not necessarily going to have it easy as my mom, like, cause she always had a smaller frame. I felt, and I was kind of conditioned into believing like I needed to work really hard to fight against the genetics that might land me in a bigger frame. And it really isn't until recently that I started to step back and, and, recognize like there's nothing wrong with having a bigger frame and that that ongoing fight that I've had for most of my life because the disordered eating is not 
away, has not really gone away. It's shifted. I don't purge anymore, but that doesn't mean that I don't have struggle with my relationship with my body and, and these thoughts about food. And that's really sad, actually. I think this is part of the reason that I became, going back to your first question about becoming a well-being coach, it's like, I wish I had more tools when I was younger and I wish that I had more awareness. And I'm so grateful for that psychiatrist that I saw and how much she impacted my life because without her, who knows where I would have continued down the path of disordered eating. Yeah, I highly believe that that's really important. I mean, when I started my bulimia, I mean, it was in the 1980s, there really wasn't much there. So, uh, you know, it's funny that we speak to our mothers and my mother didn't know how to deal with it. Uh, you know, to her was like, well, you know, it's just all about you being slim. And <clears throat> I guess it starts a little bit like that. But then, of course, it was like that same thing. You know, my sister was losing weight. And then, you know, I was the only, you know, overweight one in the family. Uh, the whole thing was only and I became overweight because of dieting to begin with. You know, so with one sister saying that I should lose 10 pounds because those silly things back then, they're a lot better now. But, you know, if you're 5'9", you should be 110 pounds, which is absolutely ridiculous. You can't be. Um, and certain bodies can't. And like you, I was, you know, 5'9", where my sisters were 5'7", 5'6", 5'5". So I was, you know, uh, sometimes felt like an Amazon, I guess is how they sometimes call it. And yet there was no reason to. I was just a taller person. And like you said, you just have to become, you know, comfortable with that. But it's interesting how there's that, that mirroring, you know, of uh, expectations. And, but that mirroring of expectations, I think, goes deeper into it because, you know, that um, disordered eating is also related to mindset. And uh, it's how do you break those beliefs really ultimately is what it comes down to, which is talked about so much, but that is still part of bulimia, which people... Um, you know, to get away from and not to go on too long. But one thing that I find sometimes frustrating is when I speak to my clients, they go, well, it's a habit. And if you only perceive it as just being a habit, it's going to be a lot harder to get over it because it's not, it's more than that. And habits are, are really tough to break. I mean, it takes so much intention to shift your habits. That's actually been a big focus of mine studying so I can better understand habits this year. <laughs> There's this great book, Atomic Habits, that is a wonderful read, but it's it's this thick book and you recognize as you're reading through, like everything in there is so spot on and you almost have to follow it to a T to dig in to a habit, to create a new one, to shift an old one. And I think one of my biggest takeaways was like, wow, no wonder so many people feel trapped, stuck, frustrated, because the way our brains work is that we have to be very intentional about making shifts with ourselves. And, you know, I've noticed this so much through my coaching is, is getting the perspective of how other people work. And one big shift that I've made as a coach is, is that recognize it's not always easy for some people. Some people can make shifts really quickly. Some people, it takes a very long time. What seems obvious and simple to one person is not necessarily the case for another. There are just so many variables. And I think that same conversation translates to our bodies too. I, one thing that 
deeply frustrates me right now is reflecting on how there's so much one size fits all mentality of if you just follow this diet, you're going to lose weight. If you just do this exercise routine, you're going to lose weight. It is perpetuated on and on and on. And looking back, I recognize how, how much I spent in my life thinking there was something wrong with me because those approaches to eating or fitness or whatever else didn't work for me. I have never had a flat stomach and I thought that was meant something was wrong with me or I was doing things wrong. I wasn't doing it right. And I feel like I've tried every diet and exercise routine under the sun. And <laughs> I, I just think it's incredibly important not to spread that message that it's easy or necessary. This is interesting because I, I about the flat stomach thing. <laughs> Where were you looking though? <laughs> I mean, you walk down the street and count how many women or men have flat stomachs. And I guarantee you out of like 20 people, you might find maybe one. In the Unless you live in LA, like I do, <laughs> that's the tr that's one of the tricky parts about living in Los Angeles is uh, there. There's a higher percentage of those people, and and actually, you know, you bringing that up is so important because you're absolutely right. I mean, even in LA, like it, it's a it's more of a perception that we have about the average LA person. I was talking to actually one of my students, uh, coaching clients, I should say, and she said that she struggles to take walks outside because living in Southern California, she has a perception that she needs to look a certain way when she's outside interacting with other people. And I think that is a huge issue in cities like Los Angeles. It's probably true in New York and San Francisco and any of these major cities, Austin, Texas, now like, you know, just in the U.S., but beyond uh, other cities probably have those same pressures of putting yourself together or working out so that when you appear, even on camera, there's so much fear around that now. And um it's, it's distorted, to your point, our perception of what other people's look, look like because we're either in an area where we see a lot of people that look, you know, have an ideal appearance in our perception or the media has brainwashed us and, and not just traditional media, but social media as well, too. It, it is dominated by people with specific body types and specific appearances and specific ages and we start to lose actual sight of what the majority of the population looks like. Well, that's what I was going to say too. It's kind of like when you're, when you're buying a car and it's a certain type of car and a certain color and you go, I haven't seen those before, but then all of a sudden when you buy it, everywhere you look is that. So your blinders almost go that you don't see anything but those cars that are just like yours, right? Or what you want. Mm -hmm. to have. Um, I sometimes think that that's, is what when you go out there, you're seeing all those, you know, what society considers to be, you know, the perfect person. And yet there's probably 10 other people who aren't that are close by, but you're not going to see them because your eyes are, you know, they're going straight to that. So that that perception has changed too. They're saying, well, there's so many people that are so great, you know, they, they keep their bodies perfect, everything, everything. And yet there probably isn't because that's what you're focusing on. Yeah. And I think, 
It's a huge issue. I can't even imagine growing up with social media because it was hard enough for me. I don't, and it's interesting now looking back like, wow, I mean, I probably, I didn't watch nearly as much television. I didn't even have cable TV growing up, but my friends did. And we had magazines, but we're, but I wasn't bombarded with images all day, every day. And still that deeply affected me. And I would see people and think like, that's the way I had to look. That's the, that's what's desirable. And I think now it is inescapable for most people, unless they are very intentional about their usage online. That's too bad because everybody is so unique. I mean, you know, I look at it and of course, uh, it's kind of fun because of course, Jane Fonda, you know, she was bulimic for 30 years as well. So I'm, like, <laughs> I'm in the same set there. And yes, she looks wonderful. I mean, she's not perfect. She doesn't mind, you know, she didn't mind being out there. And, um, and I have to say that when I watch her show, uh, was it Grace, uh, Frankie and Gracie? I can't remember mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I love Lily Tomlin. I mean, I look at her and go, now there's someone who's unique. I just adore her. And I'm going to, most people could just, you know, grasp their uniqueness, make who they are, who they are, rather than constantly comparing ourselves to other people that we will never be. Take who you are and make yourself that person that people want to be, so to speak, and look up to, not that they can be. I mean, I joke around about the time I used to wear running shoes when I was in my teens and we went to these bars dancing and uh, I had people making fun of me. And then six months later, everybody's wearing them, you know, and I just went, I wanted to go up to these particularly two ladies who were laughing at me with the guys and everything go, Hey, look what you're wearing. (laughs) I didn't, I mean, that's not me because again, that's the other thing too, that people who struggle with. Um, as you say, disordered eating or bulimia, uh, we tend to be people pleasers. We tend not to speak out. And I still, and I've said this and I will say it again, I find that self-sabotaging because we'll hurt ourselves. And I don't know that it's all about trying to make ourselves what other people want us to be without being able to have a voice and saying, I don't want to be what you want me to be. I want to be me. Or even yell out at you know, social media and everything, stop it. But we don't. Instead, we just try and follow this lead and, and we're, you know, we tend to be followers, people pleasers, quiet and uh, self-sabotaging. We hurt ourselves instead of hurting others. Oh yeah. And I'm so glad that you brought up the people pleasing side of it. Cause that's another thing that I'm digging really deep in uh, on my podcast. This might get uncomfortable. My co-host and I did a a survey of the, our listeners, a survey of our online course students. And that was one of the number one struggles that people were facing. And it actually was incredibly helpful for me because I recognized how much of a people pleaser I am through the stories that I was hearing from others. And I started digging into that and just trying to uncover the roots. And it, it most of it goes back to parenting, you know, most of it goes back to the way that my mom saw the world and the way that she raised me and my sister and my sister deals with it uh, in her own way. And, and I just also wonder where that was happening within my mom's life too. Was she a people pleaser? Like how, what's the kind of lineage that this stuff has passed down and what was going on when she was growing up or when she was being uh, told how to parent, you know, and, 
And I think people pleasing is a big, big issue. We don't just see it in terms of disordered eating. We see it in so many different ways that we show up in life, whether it's through our business, through our relationships, through our friendships, through parenting, you know, and I think it's actually a, a really big problem because it, it limits a lot of us and it does put us into that comparison trap or the comparison trap maybe triggers our people pleasing. And I really, to your point, wish that we can shift that more. And I know that we can, we just have to be very conscious about it. You know, social media is something that if we are intentional about it, we can minimize our usage and we can treat it very differently. For example, I'm on a kind of personal mission with my social media usage to curate my feed, whether that's on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube, whatever I'm watching, towards the content that makes me feel good. I get so excited when I see a woman with a similar body as me. Like it, it lights me up. And because I feel like I can look at her very differently than I look at myself. I recognize that we have similar bodies, but it's like, oh, I actually really like looking at her body. Why don't I like looking at mine? You know, and it's, it's, it's very therapeutic for me to see different body shapes too, not just that, that thin frame that many of us get used to or perceive as beautiful or acceptable or, or ideal, whatever it is. Like when I see women of all different sizes and shapes and ages, like it's so wonderful to your point. You know, I love seeing women. Another big thing I love right now is seeing women with gray hair. Like it gets me so excited because I've been starting to reflect on my relationship with gray hair and like, am I going to dye my hair when it takes over? And, and I, I actually don't want to dye it but I feel uncomfortable with how other people will perceive me when I have a lot of gray hair. So when I see women that embrace just their natural hair color, whatever it looks like, it's, it's like, Oh, I have permission. Like I'm not going to be the only one who looks that way, you know? And there's more and more women that are doing that. And, uh, but it's a, it's a personal thing too. And uh, to that, what we were talking about, I mean, I, I have nothing against women wanting to, you know, eat properly, maintain a proper weight, but it's when that takes over them. And we talked about that in some of my other podcasts. Uh, it's about self-acceptance. So, uh, you know, in my case, when I was younger, I used to look at it and, you know, the, the, again, the flat bellies and the certain weight thing. And I realized that my body likes to be at a certain weight and it's really comfortable being there. And I have no problem. I can eat what I, you know, to the amount that I want, whatever I want. And it stays at this, as long as I listen to it when I'm full, <laughs> you know, and, and I like it. And I'm going, you know what, this is a nice weight for me and I'm happy with it. And then, like you said, it's, it's about being happy with that, being happy with, you know, what clothes am I going to wear? Do I have to dress a certain way? Do I have to look a certain way? And I decide not to, and I don't wear makeup. And I choose not to. And I'm not saying that women shouldn't, absolutely not. But then if I have the choice, I never really have. And I'm still not going to. Some people go, well, you know, if you're going to be on camera, you should probably put some makeup on. And I'm going, no, I don't have to. And, you know, so I, I started to change my ways of, you know, I'm not going to let you tell me how and what I should be. And I, 
And the comparison thing is, I think, the most difficult thing to break. Because I also had three sisters. And for some reason, you know, with, um, you know, let's put this so quickly, my second oldest sister was overweight, she lost weight, and my younger sister lost weight. And it almost became because there was comments about it, that that became almost a competition, or, you know, a comparison. Oh, well, she's slimmer, and she's slimmer. And that's awful, because then what you're doing but there's more than that. It's, it's a competitive thing. So it's not just weight. So where else, where else are you competing in your mind that's affecting also why you're competing with your looks? Because it doesn't usually just stop there. Yeah. And what you're bringing up is, I think, something that many of us can relate to. I, I certainly felt that with my sister too. She's always had a thin frame. She's, she's probably got a has a body that's very close to our country's ideal uh at least what the one that's perpetuated in the media and um that's been very frustrating for me growing up because i deeply love my sister i sh- we have a phenomenal phenomenal relationship but growing up it was very confusing because she would get praised she's blonde with a thin frame she could eat whatever she wants her entire life you know it's never been a major issue that I know of. It, maybe it is deeper down than she's expressed to me. And that's the other thing is we don't fully know what people are going through. But to have that comparison with a family member is really tough. And that was a huge challenge for me growing up is feeling like I, need, I wanted to get the praise that my sister was getting, the validation that she was getting. But thinking that I had to change myself in order to be loved and accepted and validated in the way that she was or other women. And to to your makeup point, that's something I'm continuously frustrated with. It's I don't want to wear makeup either. I'm not wearing any now. Zoom has their like little filtration feature or whatever on. But like, I'm with you. I don't I don't like wearing makeup. I, I wear it kind of begrudgingly. And sometimes I put it on. And it makes me feel good. It maybe boosts my confidence. But for the most part, it's just a, an annoyance. <laughs> and, but I, that pressure of people like expecting you to show up a certain way. And for me, the shame that has come along with those expectations has been really rough. And unfortunately, I've, I've had a career that's been mostly on camera for over 10 years And it's been a big mental challenge because people will sometimes comment on all different parts of my appearance. And, and that reinforced a lot of shame within me that I'm just now starting to sort through. Yeah. And it is something too, that I've learned to do is look at my sisters and go, wow, I appreciate how you look and I appreciate how I look. And like you said, I will never be able to have you know the nice hips that my younger sister has because I have no hips or you know uh, it's we're all made differently and but it really changed my when I look at other people now and I appreciate their looks rather than want to be their looks and oh yeah that's that's an important distinction and finding my own style and finding out who I am and learning that I can be horribly annoying to some people and not annoying to others, that's just what's going to be. And those who want to be around me will stay and those who don't will go. And nobody's forced to be around me. And it used to be really fearful. I used to tell people, gosh, I'm annoying, aren't I? 
and because I felt like I was annoying. And that came from some things that were said to me about being annoying when I was younger. Yeah. So, uh, and that's the people pleasing, right? It's, it's like you, for me, at least people pleasing manifests in that I need to constantly change myself to please others because as I am is not good enough, or maybe it's good for this person, but it's like you become this chameleon in a lot of ways where every person I would try to please, I was shifting something about myself. And I used to actually take pride in that. Like, Oh, I'm so good at this. Like I can shift around and adapt to any situation, but that actually led me to feel very confused about who I am. And when you were talking about feeling comfortable in your body, I was reflecting on that thinking like, I don't think I've ever been comfortable in my body. Truly. I think the only times that I have felt quote comfortable is when I felt like I was at a weight or body shape or size that I felt like confident in because I thought that was the way I was supposed to look. And for instance, this past year, I felt so uncomfortable in my body. Today, I feel uncomfortable in my body. I've been feeling frustrated. It's like, I feel like I'm, I'm taking such good care of myself, but my, my size, my shape is not reflective of how I think that I'm best my best look is. And I feel shame for that a lot. And that's something I have to constantly work on. And it hasn't been easy, even after many, many years of work on this, it's still a process for me. And just hearing that you have gotten to a place where you feel comfortable and you know, what is a comfortable place for your body is inspiring. That to me, it feels like such a more important goal than like whatever the scale says, however my clothes fit but that deep internal sense of comfort is where I'd like to be. I think a big part of that too, is being very comfortable with, with who you are. So uh, one thing that was important to me is, and I do it, I wake up in the morning, I'll look in the mirror and I go, I love you. I love who I am. And the nice thing is I may annoy other people, but I don't annoy myself. <laughs> so, And I'm the one who was born with myself and the one that's going with myself. Another really strange thing, and listeners will probably sit there going, okay, she really is crazy. But so I have a sore arm and it's a sore shoulder. And okay, listeners, it's going to be really weird. It's really hard for me to put my bra on because you have to attach it from the back and my arm will go back for I will have my right hand do something. And in my mind, I will tell it saying, thank you, right arm for helping the left arm. So understanding that every part of your body, and sometimes I look at my feet and if one leg needs to be itched, the other one does. I am very conscious of the fact that I have two legs, two arms and fingers, and the one side helps the other side. And it becomes that my body is more than just, what does it look like? It's a lot more than that. It's my best friend. And my right hand is best friends to my left hand, like my left hand's best friends to my right hand. And that mind shift of starting to think that, um, you know, it may not look as perfect as I would love it to look, but you know, it's perfectly perfect to me and, and it's mine. And like I said to you, one thing that shifted my mindset too, was when my nephew at 23 was passing from cancer. And it seemed the oddest thing that he was wanting my eyebrows because his had fallen off through chemo. And it got me to wake up in the morning too, that if my hair was really bad going to work and sit down, go, I have a bad hair day, but it's my hair. 
I have it, it's mine. And when you start being more grateful for what it is and also understanding um, that uh, it hurts other people when you're going through what you're going through too. And you don't really realize it to open up your eyes to that too. I think when you focus more on the love for others and for yourself first and the other ones that are loving you, the really important circle, not those people out there who are like, you know, magazines <laughs> on a wall, ones around you. Um, your mindset gets healthier and henceforth the way that you look at self looks is healthier. And then the way that you look at your body is healthier. But a lot of that's mindset. And you talk about nutrition as well, Whitney. And I also really seriously believe that some people say, well, you have to start with the mindset first. I think you really have to start with nutrition because your mindset is not going to be 100% proper. Well, not that it will be 100%, but won't be in the right state if you're not eating properly. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And it, this is part of where disordered eating has made that so tricky. And, and, and also, it's the media, again, makes it so hard to figure out what to eat. <laughs> like This has been my, my focus for over 10 years. It's all based in health and wellness. And I've, I've been in the social media world for that whole time. And and I step back and recognize like it's so confusing and conflicting and there's so much diet culture built into nutrition these days that makes it even worse because a lot of the talk is this healthy is healthy. This food is healthy or unhealthy. This either or this food is right or wrong, good or bad. You know, there are all these terminologies. Clean food is another one that I've I, and I've used these words and I'm trying not to because what do they even mean? Like they're perpetuating this idea of, of food being such a battle, food being such a like black and white situation. We've become confused about moderation. We're confused about what's good for our bodies. There's a lot of issues with capitalism too, in terms of like convincing us uh, of certain foods or supplements or things that we should take or need to take. There's, I mean, another issue that came up on my podcast actually yesterday was the cultural appropriation of certain foods like um, supplements. There's a huge issue right now with, with um, like Ayurvedic supplements and like, oh, you should take turmeric because of X, Y, Z, which I think is wonderful. But there's ma major disparities with the origin of where these foods came from. And now we're using them. Uh, companies are using things like turmeric, for example, to make tons of money. They put turmeric in everything that convinces it's this wonder food. It has a lot of amazing benefits, but we've been manipulated so much to think of foods as superfoods and healthy foods. And these are the things that are going to change your whole life and make your body pure. But to your point, there's so much going on behind the scenes and there's so, such a mental game involved with food that has actually made it a lot more complicated than it needs to be. To me, going back to the roots and really honoring things like the origins of our foods, who's making them, where are they coming from, the love that's being put in them, or is there some corruption going on with our food, right? Because I'm also a big believer in the energy of it. So if I'm going to put something in my body, I hope that it's made with love so that I can be adding more love into that. I don't want to be convinced that I need to eat a certain food to achieve a certain peak of health. 
especially if that manipulation is for capital gain and it's at the cost of people that are, are, you know, not being treated fairly. That's something I'm a big advocate for. Um, but it, this whole process has made it really hard for us to figure out the origins of our food and what actually makes us feel good and other people feel good. And it's taken us so far away from our natural state that many people are just completely confused about what to eat. And they're confused about what truly is good or, or good is even not the best word, but what, what really makes each of us feel good, right? And that breaks my heart. And I think that all these years that I've spent studying food, I also I just end up at this place of like, wow, this is way too complicated. Like, I just want to go grow my own food, like, you know, and know exactly how it's grown, where it's coming from, what was involved in that process, and in, infuse myself with something much simpler. Well, it's all like that, too, is what is the, you know, the glitter and shine this week or that week or what's good for you this week and what's not good for you the next week. I have put all those aside. I don't diet. In fact, in my book, how to have your cake and not eat it all too. I have a list of foods like Oreo cookies and chips and stuff like that. And I go and here are some nutrients that are in there because if you're eating them, just don't overindulge in them, but there are still nutrients in them. They're not bad foods. I um, just, you just balance out things. And, I literally do not diet. I eat. I mean, I know that I need to have a certain amount of vegetables because sometimes I have a hard time, you know, making sure that I have vegetables all the time because I, but it's balancing that. So, I mean, intuitively, you know, because your parents have brought you up that you need your vegetables, you need your protein, you need that and how you get it. Um, if you complicate it, like you said, it's going to cause more disorder in your life, in your mind and which can also trigger the disordered eating. So, And not everybody has the privilege of parents that have raised them uh, with that mentality. You know, I've certainly I got some of that messaging from my parents, but I also got a lot of the, this food is good, this food is bad mentality. Yeah. And that was really frustrating. I would also hear it from my friends' parents. You know, it wasn't just my parents that were involved with this. Like, I distinctly remember some of my friends' parents and their perspectives on food. And, like, I've just been probably confused my entire life about food from my parents, from other people's parents, from the media, all of this together. And, and where are parents getting that information? Like they're confused. The government has put out very conflicting information over the years. Like you were saying earlier about like your height versus your body, how much you're supposed to weigh. Like there's so much information that's outdated or just it was motivated by some um, money issue. And that, that to me, it's like if you can trace it back to who is giving out this information, Unfortunately, a lot of that information is tied to financial gain. And it's like we have been weaponized in a lot of ways to be confused about our bodies. Because when we're confused, we feel desperate. We make purchases out of confusion or frustration, or we just want to go quickly grab something and be done with it. And all of that has impacted me. Yeah. The bad food, though, I think is, you know, when you say, well, chips are bad and cookies are bad, they're not bad what I think is it should be specified they're not good to have too many of 
is a better way of saying, you know, so like, you oh, don't, I don't, I don't think they're bad foods. Like yeah, I'm but that's how, with but you. That's how a lot of people will restrict it, right? That's a bad food. Chocolate's bad. Cookies are bad. Chips are bad. They're bad if you're going to buy three bags and eat them and purge them. Yes. But then any food is bad. Any food you're overindulgent can be bad for you. So um, it's just that, again, it's a mindset, right? So, uh, But even that mentality too, I think is tricky because, you know, maybe one day you do just want to sit down and eat three bags of chips, but like that one day is not going to is not going to deeply impact you over the, you know, the over course the of everything that you're eating. And I think this is where the confusion is. People don't even understand moderation. Yeah. Like it's and nutrition facts are not even fully reliable in terms of like serving sizes and all these things. It's like, to your point, I think the, the ideal is the getting truly understand intuitive eating yes. and that's a long process. Like going back to what you were saying about habits, if I were going to recommend starting a new habit, it would be working your way towards intuitive eating because it's like you have to get more in touch with your intuition and, and who you are and you have to crowd out all this noise. Yeah. You know, maybe it is not using social media for a while until you get to the, the root of who you are. Like, you know, I think, there are beautiful benefits to de- the quote detox, meaning like a social media detox, if you yeah. are comfortable with that term, um, or uh, a retreat or whatever, whatever practice it is where you can close out as much of the external noise as possible so that you can focus on your internal guidance. Absolutely. I really appreciate your input and everything and having you here today with me. Uh, did you want to just let our listeners know where they can contact you? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a podcast called This Might Get Uncomfortable. And uh, the entire podcast is all, all across the web. So if you look that up, you can easily find me and my co-host, Jason. Um, the two of us respond to direct messages on social media if you want to use it, but we also have emails and um, the whole website is set up to support you. And my personal website is WhitneyLauritson.com, which I know is a little trickier to spell. (laughs) My last name is L-A-U-R-I-T-S-E-N. But if you look up this might get uncomfortable. I always say that's that's an easy way to find me because you can probably spell those words a little bit easier than my last name. (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you so much. And to the listeners too, just want to uh, let you know again what I was speaking about. If you want for the uh, adult bulimia recovery guide called "How to Have Your Make uh, Your How to Have Your Cake and Not Eat It All Too," uh, you can find that on my website at imbecal.com. Thanks again, Whitney. Thanks for having day. me. Take care. Bye. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode. Be sure to visit me at bleepbulimia.com.